Welcome to the Wisdom and Wellness Parsha podcast, a weekly Eden Center podcast featuring Rabbanit Shani Tarragon with insights from the Parsha about women's health, relationships, mikveh and well-being. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center that is transforming the mikveh experience by educating women how to use mikveh as the natural platform it is to connect to women's health, well-being and healthy relationships. Read our weekly blogs on a range of fascinating topics, download our wonderful publications, learn about our Balaniyot and Kala teacher trainings, and support us at theedencenter.com. Rabbanit Shani Terrigan has been a leading force in women's Torah learning and in Eden's work, and we are honored to combine two of her passions, Torah education and empowering us about women's health and well-being. Without further ado, Shani. Hello and welcome to Eden's Wisdom and Wellness for Women Parsha podcast. This Shabbat, we not only bring in the new month, the month of Menachem Av, but we also begin a new Sefer, the fifth and final Sefer of Hamisha Chumshi Torah. But what's interesting is that there are unique qualities of Sefer Dvarim, rendering it a vital completion of the Torah. Up until Sefer Dvarim, we hear about Hashem's revelation to man, Hashem's words, Hashem's mitzvot, ideas, narratives written down by Moshe Rabbeinu. And now, Eila Hadvarim Asher Diber Moshe El Kol Yisrael. Now we're going to hear of how these messages are going to emanate from man. We hear of the eternalization of the speech of the Dvarim of Hashem, this time being verbalized through Moshe Rabbeinu. So if the four preceding books eternalize the past of Hashem's revelation and of the Torah, then Sefer Dvarim transforms this to a perpetual presence. One of the milim manchot that we're going to see throughout the Sefer is the word hayom, 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 the same day that you accepted the Torah, the same day that now you're here, be'eva ha'yardain, and the day that you're going to accept a covenant in the land of Israel. And obviously these are three different chronological dates, and yet they're all hayom. It's about eternalizing everything that we experienced and making this a perpetual part of our lives. Rav Yehuda Amit Hosierta, we just commemorated a few days ago. He would always say, These are the chumashim of the ideal. And then you open up Sefer Dvarim, Hadvarim Asher Diber Moshe. And now we're going to hear about how to transform all of that ideal into a real life in Eretz Yisrael, a life of challenges, a life wherein we're going to need an infrastructure of leadership and judiciary, a life wherein marriages sometimes end with divorce, a life wherein we're going to see challenges, a life with struggles between individual and society. And therefore, it's imperative that we go back to the beginning of the speech of Moshe Rabbeinu that begins Rosh Chodesh Shvat, his 37 days of intensive Torah teaching, of literally teaching and reteaching, instructing, reminding us of the past. This week's parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to revisit two primary themes that are going to accompany us throughout the rest of our lives. The evolution of leadership, not only on a judiciary, political, but also religious nature, moral nature, and at the same time, the sin of the spies, recognizing how we have to look at the land and appreciate the land of Eretz Yisrael in which we're going to develop this infrastructure and therefore Throughout the first few chapters of Sefer Dvarim, he's going to bring us back to the past. Do you remember? Remember not only your sins, but do you also remember your victories? Do you remember how Hashem helped us take this memory and eternalize it?
The Midrash, the opening psukim on Sefer Dvarim in Dvarim Rabbah, comments, Ela Hadvarim Asher Diber Moshe. At note the certain irony that arises from the first verse of the Sefer, Ela Hadvarim, these are the words that Moshe spoke to all of Israel and in fact, Sefer Dvarim, as we said, opens up numerous speeches of Moshe Rabbeinu that he presents to Am Yisrael before, before his passing. And the Midrash finds it ironic that in light of Moshe's response to Hashem 40 years earlier, when Hashem first assigned him the role of leader of B'nai Yisrael, do you remember what he said? Lo ish Dvarim Anochi. I am not a man of words. Moshe, who was not a man of Dvarim, who... Uh, whether it was that he stuttered, he didn't feel confident in his speech. Now he presents the lengthy book, speech after speech of Sefer Dvarim. And Chazal teach us that from here we see the healing powers of the words of the Torah. See how cherished the tongue of the Torah is, for it cures the tongue. Moshe, until he was privileged to receive the Torah, it says that he's not an Ish Dvarim. But once he was privileged to receive the Torah, that his tongue was cured and he began speaking words. How are we supposed to understand this idea? What is the Midrash referring to when it talks about curing powers of the words of the Torah that literally cures Moshe's words? So on one hand, one can recognize that Moshe Rabbeinu in particular, and he who is going to present instructions to the people, telling them what they must do, what they must not do, this entails not only a tremendous sense of responsibility, but certainly can lead to arrogance. Anybody who teaches people what they should be doing has to ask himself or herself, what right do I have to tell people what to do? What do I have to be careful of in this position of authority? Who am I to assume that I have the authority to give instruction to others? So Moshe, who is described, if you remember, in Sefer Bamidbar, Parak Yudbet, as the humblest of all people, he, from the very outset, did not consider himself an Ishtvarim, a man of words, qualified to guide, to teach, to preach. What enabled him, though, to serve this role was his receiving of the Torah. As he received the Torah from Hashem, he recognized these words aren't merely his words. These are the words of God. And this is what enabled him to teach with confidence, knowing full well that he was communicating eternal truth, that he was presenting to B'nai Yisrael the actual word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's what enabled him to become an Ish Dvarim, a person with the confidence to stand before the nation and instruct him and instruct them only because of the words of the Torah. And this is not only just personally constructive and healing, but maybe this is what the Midrash was referring to when it speaks of the healing of Moshe, turning him into a man of words. An honest, humble person is empowered to teach only through unwavering belief in the truth and importance of the words that he's teaching. If he recognizes that those words have value, and therefore it's only through this belief in Divrei Hashem, the belief that Hashem not only endows us with the power of speech, but with the content of that speech. And what's remarkable is that this isn't just a personal transformation of Moshe Rabbeinu, but we know it's a, a national transformation of all of B'nai Yisrael. After all, they came out of Mitzrayim, a slave mentality people, not even understanding the words. Again, the debrot, when Hashem appears and forms a covenant with devarim, literally with commandments of words, and that they, they retreat in fear. 
Anna, as we know, they don't respond necessarily to words. Moshe has to initially hit rocks in order to bring forth water. Only after 40 years and a new generation are, there people, are the people ready to appreciate Dvarim. Is Moshe punished because he did not use just his Dvarim by the rock, but once again the action instead of the words, but now he's ready. And now Am Yisrael are ready. Eile hadvarim. These are the words. Rabbi Sachs points out beautifully that the very existence of nations defined by covenants depends on Dvarim. Am Yisrael thereby become a nation unto Hashem. And this is what's perpetuated not just in Sefer Dvarim, but Hayom till today through words. This involves a highly specialized use of, use of language says Rabbi Sachs. And ultimately what it does is it creates. It creates moral relationships and obligations. For example, when I use my words to say, I promise to, I do not merely describe a promise. I make a promise. A covenant is a mutually binding promise that is created through the power of words. And therefore, when we see Moshe Rabbeinu's speech that begins with really the sins of Am Yisrael, it's going to end with the power of tshuva. Don't worry. And you can return to Hashem, atah Shevota, and in Sefer Hosea, the prophet who's living during uh, the time pre-destruction of Shomron and Yehuda in Perikudalit, he tells us, how are you going to do this? How are you going to return to God? How are you going to reforge a relationship that you severed? Perikudalit pasuk bet of Sefer Hoshea, shuva Yisrael ad Hashem alokacha Return to Hashem your God, because you failed with your iniquities. Kru imachem dvarim v'shuvu el Hashem. Take with you words, take devarim, and return to Hashem. He's not just speaking about repentance, confession, apologies, resolutions, as opposed to sacrifices. Offer words, not animals, is on one hand the primary meaning. But beneath the surface, Hosea is saying something much more fundamental. Your relationship with Hashem is based on words, the Torah that constitutes the covenant, the marriage contract between Yisrael and Hashem. That's a word-based contract. A politics based on power comes to an end when a nation is defeated and loses power. Rabbi Sachs explains that a politics that's based on organic development, on the long experience of the people living together in the same land, and is destroyed when the people are uprooted from the land and scattered over the face of the earth, Neither of these two forms of national existence can survive defeat and dispersion. Once lost, they're gone, never to return. But Israel's existence as a nation is not based on power or a land, even though we certainly desire autonomy and sovereignty in Eretz Yisrael. But the basis of our relationship regardless of where we're living and when we're living, is based on words, the words of Hashem to Yisrael, the acceptance of these words by Am Yisrael. So as long as the word exists, Am Yisrael exists. And because Hashem is eternal and never revokes his word, we will always exist. Because we see from the opening lines of the Sefer, Israel's being a nation is constituted by Dvarim. Eileh Dvarim Asher Diber Moshe. The words of Hashem that are ultimately eternalized by us. And therefore, there's always the possibility and promise of return. 
because Am Yisrael, we can survive defeat, dispersion, pandemics, even loss and power of the land, because there's something that we will never lose, and that's Hashem's word. That's the word that Hashem says, take with you. Take with you the words of Sefer Dvarim. Take with you the words of the Mishnah Torah. The word Dvarim brings us back to Sefer Dvarim. When all these words, when all of these literal speeches, the messages, the blessings, the curses that Hashem is going to give us, when Hashem at times, yes indeed, brings, brings Magifu to this world, this is the time, this is the opportunity to take with us our words. And from here we learn the scary power of words, the power of of negative words, unfortunately, but also the power of positive words. We see how words literally create. They create covenants. They create relationships. They create marriages. And what's phenomenal is that sometimes we don't necessarily think about the effects of words on on our relationships or even on our physical wellness. And that the not only psychosomatic, the emotional effects that that this has. So we've been speaking so often about different aspects of relationships and and physical well-being. But Japanese scientist Masaru Emoto, he performed some of the most fascinating exper- experiments on the effects that words have on energy. This is in the 1990s. He found that when frozen, water that's freeze from all impurities will form beautiful ice crystals that look like snowflakes under a microscope, whereas water that's polluted will freeze without forming crystals. So in his experiments, Emoto poured water into different vials labeled with negative phrases like I hate you or even fear. And after 24 hours, the water was frozen, but had no longer crystallized under the microscope or rather yielded gray misshapen clumps instead of beautiful lace-like crystals. In contrast, he then took labels that said things like I love you or peace on vials of polluted water. And after 24 hours, they produced gleaming, perfectly beautiful crystals. Amoto's experiments prove that energy generated by positive or negative words can actually change the physical structure of an object. And this was then tested out also on cancer patients. And the results of the experiments are remarkable. In another experiment, Amoto tested the power of spoken words by placing two cups of cooked white rice in two separate jars and put the lids on, labeling one jar, thank you. And the other, you fool. The jars were left in an elementary school classroom and the students were instructed to speak these words on the labels to the corresponding jars twice a day, either thank you or you fool. After 30 days, the rice in the jar that was constantly insulted had shriveled into a black black mass. The rice in the jar that was thanked was white and fluffy. And this is a dramatic example of a the power of words, the power of words of gratitude. How many times a day do we throw our words away? How many times a day do we not really think about what we're saying? Eilat Varimashar Diber Moshe reminds us of the curative powers, these healing powers of words. Throughout the day, we may say things like, oh, I hate this, I hate that, or I'm uh, such a klutz. We never think that these words bring negative energy into our vibration and affect us on a physical level, but they do. And uh, they can also cure us. They can transform us. Interestingly, Emoto's experiments were conducted with water. 
because sound vibration travels through water four times faster than it travels through open air. So what keeping in mind that our body is over 70% water, then we understand how the vibration from negative words resonates in our cells. And we see this. Chazal teach us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And apparently this is not just a metaphor. So some of us who perhaps are in the habit of using negative words, again, even out of habit, And maybe this is a time to try to be a little more sensitive, a little more sensitive, not only to what we speak, but also what we hear, what we read, and certainly what we're speaking. And when we break these habits, we know that our brain uses repetition to learn. It searches for patterns and consistency as a way to make sense of the world around us only after, after at times recognizing the negative effects, only then are we brought to change. So uh, let us, beginning with the month of Av, let's think of the positive effects that words can have on us. Uh, on us. They uh, transform Moshe Rabbeinu. They uh, transform Am Yisrael. They create a covenant. They create relationships. And we know that they can also hurt us. And that perhaps is why we read on Tisha B'Av, the words of Echa, wherein Yirmiyahu tries to elicit from Am Yisrael, he tries to elicit some response. And finally, by the end, he says, Hashivenu Hashem Elacha, Hashem, if we're not going to use our words, help us, help us. But this Shabbat, not only do we have an opportunity to hear about the power of words of Moshe Rabbeinu, the power of words that Hashem has a empowered us with, has given us the words of the Torah, words of truth, so much positivity that literally creates a moral, ethical society. Let's make sure that we also hear the echoes of the words of Yeshayahu in the Haftarah. Yeshayahu, Chazon Yeshayahu, begins with a vision. And in his vision, he says, again, the very first few psukim, Shimu Shamayim Vazini Aretz Ke Hashem Tiber. Stage number one, is listen to the words of Hashem. And Hashem is so disappointed with recognizing how he took the society, the contract, the covenant that was built with words, and we literally destroyed us. And therefore, throughout this nivu'ah, of Chazon, of this vision, Yeshayahu says, okay, let's give this a try. In Pasuk Yudchad, he says, Hashem. So let's at least use our words and argue one with the other. Let's try, he says, and to engage with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And with what? Kipi Hashem Tiber. Come on, use your words well. Engage in words of the Torah. Break your negative habits of speech. Incorporate more Hakara Tatov. Because in the meantime, he says, your entire culture has uh, unfortunately been demoralized. Your entire culture, he says, I see it before me. The beautiful city of Yushalayim transformed to uh, a place like Stom and Amorah. And therefore, by the very ends of the Haftorah, he says, the day will come when a positive, judicial, moral leadership will be restored. But Yeshayahu knows as well that until we can get to the next parak, until we can use our words, we're not going to be able to rebuild or to repent. It's only the next chapter that begins, Hadavar Asher Chaza Yishayahu. 
It has to start with a vision with Chazon Yeshayahu so that we can transform that into a word. As we enter this Shabbat, the Shabbat of Chazon, the Shabbat of visions, the visions that bring us into the commemoration of Tisha B'Av, of all the destructions of uh, the first Beit HaMikdash, the second Beit HaMikdash, the pogroms, the crusades, the holocaust of the past, and the troubles of the present of Hayom. Let us look back to Eilah HaDvarim Asher Diber Moshe. Let's hear his cries of Echa. Let's hear the cry of Yeshayahu's Echa. And the cry of Yermiyahu's Echa. How can this happen? And realize that we can go back to our words. And if our words can lead to terrible hatred and our words can break societies, then our words, as we know, can transform us as individuals, can transform our relationships, and ultimately can rebuild. Chodesh Tov, Shabbat Shalom. Hi, everybody. I had decided I was going to speak today about how to make our mikveh experience more meaningful, relevant, and spiritual to us. But I feel that before I can talk about this, I need to speak about the fact that the mikveh is like a mirror. It reflects whatever is going on in our life at the current moment in time. It may reflect the stage of life that we're at, the situation that we are in, or simply what is going on on in our life that month, week, day, or even evening. It's important to address this before discussing how to make the mikveh more spiritual, as although the mikveh gives us the opportunity to have a transitional experience, there will be times when we're going through stuff and we don't have the strength, resources, or desire to do so. So I want to spend time today looking at a few of the different things that affect us and influence our mikveh experience. And then in the next episode, we'll look at how to make it more meaningful, if that is what we're looking for, even when we are having a challenging time. So let's start with the most topical, Corona. The anxiety surrounding the mikveh during this time has made it very challenging for many women to connect to this mitzvah in the way that they normally do. It could be that leaving your house is tricky and stressful, or perhaps you have concerns regarding the hygiene in the mikveh. For some, corona has disrupted their mikveh ritual. They would normally take a long bath at the mikveh, relax, unwind, transition, both in body and mind at the mikveh, coming home in a different mind-body space. And now that you're unable to prepare at the mikveh in a way that you normally do, you've lost the space which helps you to connect and transition. Pre-corona, you may have had similar feelings when you had other committed competing commitments, such as smachot, school meetings and work deadlines. Figuring out how to actually get to the mikveh before it closed, or how to slip out of the simcha unnoticed, isn't always everyone's idea of fun. Finding meaning in the mikveh when you feel rushed, stressed, anxious and disconnected isn't easy. We may find that we're not enjoying mikveh so much and we're not sure why. And when we stop and reflect, we find that we are having issues connecting to our physical bodies and body image. We may have gained or lost weight. We may be perimenopausal and finding ourselves at the mikveh on a more frequent basis than we're used to or like. We may be taking medication that is causing physical side effects that we don't welcome. We may be going through some medical issues and the mikveh raises these challenging issues and feelings about ourselves to the surface. In the mikveh, we literally face our body, and that isn't always easy for many of us. Mikveh is also a space that naturally invites us to focus on our fertility. 
It's part of the monthly cycle. It's part of what we do as women. As a result of this, the mikvah can be a very challenging and painful place for those of us trying to get pregnant and finding that it's taking longer than planned. The visit to the mikvah is an agonizing reminder that another month has flown by and our dreams for a child haven't yet been realized. When we miscarry and find ourselves back at the mikvah prematurely, we can relive the loss and disappointment all over again. We may suffer from some mental health issues. OCD and depression are just two examples of issues which can challenge our mikvah experience greatly. Mikvah has a direct impact on our relationship with our husbands, and our relationship with our husbands has a direct effect on the mikvah. When things are going well between husband and wife, when we're communicating, spending some time together, navigating the ups and downs, and enjoying sexual intimacy, our visit to the mikvah can be a positive experience. For some women or couples, even when things are going well, they have a difficult time transitioning from asur to mutar. This means that mikvah triggers a whole load of negative emotions that need to be worked on. Kalvachomer, if they are experiencing difficulties in any of these areas, then the mikvah can be incredibly upsetting. They need to face the conflict head on and make a choice that they may not want to make regarding mikvah, regarding sexual intimacy and their relationship. And finally, some women have a hard time being told what to do with their body. They may not like having to toivel in front of another woman. They don't like sticking to all the rules and regulations. They have a hard time committing to getting to the mikveh at a specific time. They don't like the water. Or perhaps they don't like the marital expectations when they arrive home. I've tried to cover some of the challenges that we face over our mikveh going years. There are of course plenty more that I haven't mentioned. As I said at the beginning, the mikvah is a mirror that reflects to us what is going on in our body, mind and soul. And therefore, the mikvah isn't always easy for us, especially when we aren't ready, prepared or in the mood to face ourselves. Shabbat shalom. Is there someone in your life that you want to honor? Someone who has helped you out or inspired you? Maybe it's a medical professional, or a teacher, or a yoetzet who went above and beyond to help you, or a yard site or death that you want to mark. Please consider making a donation to support this podcast in honor of a special person in your life. This episode of Wisdom and Wellness was recorded by Shani Tarragon, music courtesy of Shimona Gottlieb, and is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback, sponsorships, and support. You can reach us at www.theedincenter.com. <laughs>